You're listening to Smart Businesses Do This. And today's guest, Garrett Gunderson, is an expert in helping people get their finances in line. In today's episode, he reveals the true dangers of a scarcity mindset and how to unlock lasting financial freedom while doing what you love. I'm your host, Adam Lyons. Let's get started. You are listening to Smart Businesses Do This the podcast show for freelancers, side hustlers, and upcoming small business owners who want to transform their current business or business idea into a company that is built to succeed, simple to run, and gives you the freedom to live your life on your own terms. I'm your host, Adam Lyons. Let's get started. Today, I am joined by author Garrett Gunderson, who is an expert at helping people get their finances in line. Garrett, how are you doing? You know what? Honestly, this might be moments after one of the best moments of my life. So Whoa. an insane two and a half weeks uh-huh. where I just decided I was going to tackle everything that had been painful in life that I hadn't faced, the wrongdoings I'd ever done, the secrets I'd ever held and just show up with love and compassion and being willing to go through it. And it has just turned out to be bliss. Although there's been probably in the last 17 days, more pain than I've ever faced in 17 days. So that's the candid real response. I love this. In that case, we're honored because we get to get this version of you that's been through this and is now in a wonderful place. It's been insane. I was just like, okay, I got this insight that, all right, first off, I need to become a better listener. When I'm not a good listener, it's because I'm trying to impress because of any insecurity, inadequacy, or just bad habits. Number two, radical vulnerability. I'm just going to show up and be who I am at full expression rather than try to be at perfection. And then number three, just be able to address things with love and compassion and be willing to be in the pain because the only way to deal with pain is through it. Otherwise, pain's a puppet master that leads us to withdraw, addiction, or unworthiness. And so that's been what I've been doing. I love this. What inspired this? What got you to go down this path? So when I turned 40, well, just before I turned 40, I just decided I was like, look, in my 20s, I mistakenly thought that life was really about accomplishments. And those accomplishments and accolades were there in order for me to feel better about who I am, Mm -hmm. to prove out the things that I didn't believe in in myself and to get that external validation to feel worthy. And ultimately, when I look at that in 2008, for the first time, my business had a downturn. And at the same time, I was launching a book that hit New York Times. At the same time as that, I was losing $200,000 on a real estate deal. At the same time as that, I was hitting the Inc. 500. So I was in this topsy-turvy tailspin of like, okay, here's good things and here's tough things. And because I wasn't quite certain who I was or what my place was in the world, I did a lot of trying to prove myself by working harder, trying to accomplish more, and ultimately identified myself as my business. And because of that, I neglected my family. I had kids, but I was on the road all the time. And there's nothing wrong with being on the road. But when I was on the road, I was just checking in half the time because I was just trying to hold it all together. I don't know. There was a lot that was going on at the time and just figured out how selfish it was because I didn't know what success was. I didn't know what success meant to me. I didn't know it was important. Like I find money to be really important because without it, it's super hard to operate in society. But if it's my only scorecard, it's a liar and a thief because you always could earn more and have more 
but what good is more if it's always a moving target? So ultimately, I decided to stop going to every mastermind and attend every different workshop and things that help me with business and said, it's time to really do the deep work on me personally and to really confront and face any insecurities, inadequacies, and figure out why I have background stress constantly running in my life. And that's been my journey for the last two years. I freaking love this, man. It's so cool. I remember meeting you. I read your book, What Would the Rockefellers Do, right? I read that years ago. And and I remember when I first met you, just being awestruck by just how genuine you were. My criteria in life, I meet so many people that are like, oh, you know, you, you drive a Maserati and you, know, you, you make lots of money. And they're like, uh, how do you measure your own success? And I always tell everyone, I was like, oh, I'm nowhere near as successful as I should be because my highest measure is fun. And I have to have fun. And that's the most important thing to me. So like, I came home from work yesterday. Like you, I, I got an office. I drive to my office on purpose because I want to separate family and work. But yeah, thank you. And I came home. I gave myself an hour off. So I came home an hour early yesterday. So rather than walking in the door at five, I walk in at like, that's like 3.45. I go in and my four-year-old runs up. To, I, got, I got four kids and a fifth one on the way, Garrett. So there's a few. And uh, my four-year-old runs up to me. He's five next week. And he's like, dad, dad, dad. I'm like, what? And he goes, I was thinking we should watch YouTube together right now. And I'm like, yeah, sure. And so I sat in my kid's bedroom until eight o'clock at night, just, just for bedtime, just watching toy review videos. That, <laughs> yeah. And it, but it's so fun, you know, like, but what my kids didn't know is, and, you know, talking about like the measure of success is I sat on Amazon and ordered all the ones that they were freaking out about while we were sitting there. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, what I ask my kids, like we had a family meeting yesterday. We've really been integrating, doing it on a weekly basis. We were really inconsistent, but it's like one of the questions I ask, and this was the first time that we got this was last night. I said, how's mom doing on a scale of one to 10 as a mom? She gets 10s most of the time, but sometimes she get a nine. <laughs> they both said 10. Nice. And I'm like, all right, what about me as a dad? And I get nines a lot and sometimes 10s, but this is the first time that both of our kids gave both of us a 10 which nice. means there was nothing that they wanted to ask for to improve, right? And mm -hmm. yesterday, my son wanted to buy a Valentine thing for this girl. And he's 14. And so he comes to me and I'm like, all right, let's go find something. So we go to the first store. I'm like, there's nothing special here. So we drove for 30 minutes till we found the right store. <laughs> we bought the right stuff. And I helped him write the card. And then he's asking for advice this morning about how to give it to her. And then I got a text from him, just super excited about how he got, she said it made her day and gave him a hug. And I just love that he reached out to me to tell me about it because he's pretty introverted and he's a mama's boy. He don't really reach out to me as much. So like those are magical moments. Those are pretty mm -hmm. cool accolades. And I just got this text from my wife when I was driving to get to this because I want to be where I have one gig and make sure it comes through clearly. <laughs> and just it was the most special text with so much love. And, and man, we've been through like in 2008, I was just an asshole for the most part. And so the fact that we got on the other side of that, and when I just decided to unearth some of the stupid things I said when we were dating or did, or where I didn't fully express my love and held back because I was scared. I think it's really hard to fully open up who you are to another human being without some reservation of like, they now know everything. And what we've really discovered is it's our quirks that make it most exciting. It's the quirky mm -hmm. things. It reminds me of the show Goodwill Hunting, where Robin Williams is talking about how his wife farted in her sleep and it woke him and her up. And she goes, was that you? He goes, yeah, it was me. He goes, I didn't have the heart to tell her, but it's like, it's the quirky weird things that nobody else gets to know. And it's like, 
because when you have someone that not only accepts your imperfections, but adores them, it's a kind of a special place to be. Yeah, I agree 100%. And it's so funny because here you are, this uh, expert helping people work out their money, but it does pose that really interesting thing that what's the point? Why have the money? And the whole point is so that you can enjoy life, so you can forget about it. And instead of worrying about money, you can worry about other things that are far more important. Yeah, I thought like I'm the financial genius. You know, that's why I would maybe tell myself under my breath. And yet I was talking to my wife about all these pivot points. One, when I was a miser, and I had this woman, Nancy, say, I wonder what it's like living in the financial prison you built for your wife. And I'm like, oh, damn, that was a huge, pivotal paradigm shifting moment for me. But outside of that, pretty much every paradigm shift I've had around quality of life and enjoyment along the way and living wealthy, not just having it for one day, someday came from my wife, who's not a spender. She doesn't go blow money. She's really responsible. I was the miser. I'm more the spender now. But I just love that like she's been this unsung hero for me and really a powerful stand. And like now I'm really understanding like what legacy is and how we live our legacy and from the meetings we had with our kids to the investment we have this weekend of going and spending quality time with them at our cabin and asking them one thing they really want to do and making sure that we do that with them. Like that's just really like a huge value. And you know what? It is awesome that I have the financial wherewithal to take some time off or the financial wherewithal to buy some of these things that create amazing experiences. But that's why it's important to figure out what value you have and how you provide that value and monetize that value, but don't get trapped by it where that suffocates you and sucks you in. And that's all that you end up doing at the cost of your health, at the cost of quality of life along the way. Because my dad taught me when I was young, you can never buy back the memories you never have. Yeah, it's so true. Fascinating. So I'm going to go around the houses for a little bit, but I'm, I'm going to get to a point. I remember one of the things the last time we hung out, you told me you were working on becoming a barista. <laughs> How are you doing on that journey? Okay, so I flew to LA. Well, first, I'll, tell you, I'll give a little background. We have this guy, Matthew Nordstrom. We call him Nordy. He is our tech guy that builds out all of our custom backends and memberships and all the details that make Wealth Factory work. And he's got his own roasting company called Third Crack Coffee. And I remember in 2014, he made me a cup of coffee where I was like, this is amazing. Like, I'd never had a cup quite like that. And then start talking to him about it. And then I go to Italy in 2017 for two months with my family. And I got into the habit of drinking cappuccinos and coffee, which I really wasn't a coffee and cappuccino drinker before that. So when I came home, I'm like, Hey, Nordy, like what's a good espresso machine? Like one that doesn't take forever to clean and one that you could teach a rookie how to use, but one that would be high enough caliber for you. So he tells me the machine. So I bought one for me and I bought one for him. I sent the one to him. I said, this comes with some strings attached. Here's your grinder and your espresso machine, but you're now my uh, mentor. So he started to teach me. And I would, when I'd fly out to Austin, I'd go and meet with them and we would do this kind of stuff. And then I would say, where would you learn? And he said, intelligentsia. So I just talked to my chief of staff. I'm like, hey, if there's an intelligentsia course somewhere, I want to go take it. So we went to LA, took an intelligentsia one-on-one -on -one course with the barista. I have plans to go take a second course now because my latte art is more abstract and Picasso than it is Rembrandt and like knowing what the hell the picture is. So <laughs> I got some work to do there, but Man, I've had a lot of people live in San Francisco that I make a, a latte for, say it's the best that they've ever had. 
I know a few things. I know them really well. And I kind of stick to my lane, but I made a nice V60 drip coffee for my wife this morning. I made one, made a latte for myself with oat milk and a whole milk latte for my buddy Aaron that I work out with. And yeah, I would say that I'm doing pretty well there. And oh, dude, here's the bigger news. Mm -hmm. The bigger news is, I don't know if you know Mike Klein, who owns a company, Tech Guys Who Get Marketing. Mm -mm. So Mike and I have become very close friends and actually went to Burning Man for the first time and to his camp. And he made this art car. It's really cool. It's basically a moving sandwich, right? And you can just lay on these cool saucers that make it look like the serving plate. And then they've got a grill on the back and make peanut butter and jelly. And I said, you know what I'd like to do is I like to have a coffee cart that we call the roast. I could pull it behind my e-bike. And so we went up just this last Saturday and continued working on it. So I learned how to cut metal. I kind of learned how to weld. I have holes in my clothes from it and burns on my skin. But ultimately, I've been doing stand-up comedy. So I'm going to roast coffee while I roast the people that I serve coffee to. Go to Sundance, go to Burning Man, go to different events that are happening in my town and just drive this around and have a good time with it. Yeah, I think this is amazing. So I love about this is it really illustrates who you are, which is like you're an all-in guy. You know, there's a lot of people that, They'll dabble, but you're a jump in with both feet and do it kind of person. And so, yeah. And so like I said, so I'm going around the houses here because I recently purchased a 3D printer. Yeah, I'm not, not a coffee drinker, but I am obsessed with miniatures. I like paint, glue. I've been painting miniatures since I was nine years old. And actually, I now own a couple of businesses that are connected to it. So I got this 3D printer. And in many ways, to somebody who's into miniatures, it's a money printing machine because a designer miniature costs you hundred bucks. I've got some miniatures that cost three and a half thousand dollars and I can now print any miniature I want for a buck. Yeah. It's done this incredible thing in my mind, which is now because I can get anything, I don't really want anything. And so my whole life from the age of nine until I got my 3d printer last week, I was like, Oh, I need this miniature. I need that miniature. I can't wait. To and I'm collecting all these things. But now I can literally have any miniature I want. Now I kind of don't really care because I got all of them at once, but don't actually have them, right? So it's this weird, weird thing that happened in my mind. And it occurred to me in many ways, this is probably what happens to people. We get an amount of money and then they're like, okay, I'm good. And then you get this weird, the love vanishes. And if your success is measured in accumulating a, a physical thing or a number, then once you hit that, it's like, okay, that's it done. Whereas what I love with what you've done is you constantly find new ways to find that enjoyment, to find that success. That's nothing to do with numbers. Like you literally, you have a system in your book that helps people get their numbers, their numerical system built so they don't have to worry about it anymore rather than everybody else on the planet. That it's like, that's their goal. Like I've got to work every day to get to this goal. Cause I've got to get there and they never stop and go, okay, but if you did get there, what would be next? I feel a lot of the reason that's what stops people from putting those numbers in place because they're like, oh, if I didn't have that, I wouldn't have a purpose. And you've found multiple purposes, which is what I love. And, and you know, to bring it back to me for a second, what I found that I actually love is it's not obtaining of the miniatures. It's the painting. I have actually in the last week rediscovered my love of painting them as opposed to just collecting vast amounts of them, which is actually better because it's my own skill set. Dude, cause you and I are artists. Yes. You know? Yeah, exactly. We just happen to be good at entrepreneurship. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Artists. Mm -hmm. I still got to have you out to the cabin, man. I got to do it. I'm like, 
some crazy things happened over the last over the last year. I've been busy, but man, I would love to come out. Like our fifth You've kid. got nostalgia that connects you to the cabin, strangely. Exactly. I have out in and I love Utah. But yeah, we're um we're expecting our, our fifth child is being born like in two months. Dude. Like, so, congratulations, man. See, thank you, man. And see, you get this with Utah because obviously I'm from Texas and there's not much else to do out here. <laughs> no, I uh, like the fact that you fell in love or something in, mm-hmm. in Provo of all places. One yep. time. Yeah, I did. You got five kids. Yep. So in some ways you fit in, in old school times of Utah and, and you don't really fit in in new school times other than you've got a boatload of kids because I think <laughs> shenanigans that you and I would be up to up here would be a little different than the rest of Utah. But I, yeah, exactly. Which, which I'm definitely going to take you up and I'm going to go out there and do that. So I know that a lot of people that are going to be listening to this, like you're their hero. I think when I speak to my list about you, they freak out. They're like, Oh my gosh, Garrett Gunderson's going to, it's incredible. I want to learn about being wealthy and being successful financially. And it's so fascinating. I love this particular episode focused on what it actually means to be successful, which is all the stuff that comes afterwards that people don't really think about. It's the choice and freedom that you're talking about sitting Mm -hmm. with your five-year-old. It's the choice and freedom I'm talking about, which is like, what do I want to do today? And I don't know if I told you when we were together in Austin, by the way, I'm going to be in Austin every month, the next four months, just FYI. Just ping me, call me, man. I'm around. Every month, the next four months. So I've been writing a one-man show. Mm -hmm. I've got a director and even a screenwriter and a comedic writer that's helping me. I've got a comedic agent in Barry Katz supporting me with it. I'm doing a TEDx talk and doing a portion of it. So it's an expression of just how can I create a contextual shift financially through entertainment where nobody feels like they're learning about the concepts of numbers, but they have this paradigm shift that moves them from selfishness and limitation to value creation and expansion. And I do it with four different characters that I actually act out. I end up singing in it at one time and playing guitar at another time. And at the end, when it's all done, I freaking dance because what's the ultimate expression of freedom is if some tall, dinky white dude can get up and dance. Like I just did it for the first time where I danced at the end and I got a standing ovation and I'm still just working on it, reading it, not memorized yet and gathering my props and without slides. But bro, it is so much fun. I'm having a blast doing this thing. I freaking love it. Like you said, you're an artist, like you found other ways to express them and to get people to hear the lessons through entertainment instead of through education, which I mean, that's where our children learn things nowadays, right? It's through TV shows. We learned that one of our children is now trilingual, but like by accident. So his mother's Russian, I'm English. So he was already speaking English and Russian. And then he started watching Dora the Explorer and taught himself Spanish. And we know it because he'll get in arguments about like colors or numbers and we'll be like, one, two. And he's like, niet, uno, dos. And we're like, did you just disagree in Russian and switch to Spanish? Like, and we don't speak Spanish, so we got no idea. <laughs> That's perfect. Then talking behind your back, you're not yeah. going to know what the hell's going on. No idea at all. Right. But I love that because people do, they do listen a lot more through entertainment. And I think that's why your book specifically speaks to so many people, because while it is educational, it's it comes across like stories, which is what people want to read. Well, thanks, man. I mean, I just have a new book coming out called Budgeting Sucks. <laughs> it's the first time I'm actually doing the audio book with it. I usually wait for a while. That's being released. But the entire one man show was too content heavy in one segment. I'm like, what I'm going to do instead is talk about my most painful moments in life. 
where the most profound lesson came so that someone could look at that without having to fully look at their own, but get permission to do it. And then come up with really simple contextual shifts that take people to a better place. And so that's what I'm working on now. And then I have the comedic writer coming over as I do a, a performance for him and <laughs> of the play and have him give me some critiques and think where we can add a little bit more comedy. But dude, what it's fun to be in this place of life, man. It's just a different, it's different than I ever thought, dude. I used to slap life insurance and mutual funds in 1998. Oh, wow. I, you know, I just sold, I was just a salesman. And then in 2000, when the market went down, I was confronted with, is this who I really am and what I really want to do? And I was labeled a fanatic because I asked too many questions and had tons of curiosity about how it really worked. And then formed a partnership in late 2000 with some young guys that were really the same, constantly challenging, asking questions. They were intellectually honest instead of just adopting some philosophy that was only because it was what they knew versus what they could grow to. And man, we really built something special with a company called Ingenuity. They died in 2006 in a plane crash. And oh my gosh, they gave me this intellectual gift of like philosophy. But you know what they gave me more than anything is one of the guys that died in a plane crash, he was 35. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have as much sadness as I expected because a month before he just pulled me aside, he goes, I can't imagine life being any better. I live the life I love. And so a lot of what I do is about living the life I love and helping people live the life they love because he had 35 pretty short years to be on this planet, but he couldn't imagine life being any better. And I think he lived more in that 35 years than some people that lived to 110 live, right? Like there's, yep. and we have like, actually have him on film saying in front of a thousand people, it's not about how long you're here. It's about how you live while you're here. And I was like, ah, oh, well, damn, of course the dude that says that dies early, but like, I've had some really good teachers along my life that I consider friends and I think I even contribute to them. But uh, yeah, man, like I remember we're in a room with like a bunch of ridiculously smart people and you just get up and start mapping out something that would take people years to figure out in a few minutes. <laughs> I guess savant, you filthy animal. <laughs> it's so funny. I'm doing it again tomorrow, actually. They invited me back. It's What's crazy, I think, about me is everyone always tells me I'm really smart and I feel I'm really stupid. Because it takes me a long time to understand things, but I only grasp it when I know every single piece and how it all works. And the minute that happens, it's like a machine that clicks into place in my brain. And then I can recreate it. I can mess with it. I can do all sorts of things because I understand its core working components. And yeah, that's my superpower. Once I get all the pieces together, then there's no stopping me. Do you remember what, how many people were subscribed to my YouTube channel that day we sat down? Do you remember uh, it all? It was small. Yeah, it was small. Like, was it like a couple of thousand or something? A couple of thousand. That's what I remember too. Yep. So we're over 30,000 now. Boom. We spent less than $1,000 on any type of ad strategy whatsoever. It's all by recommendations of video. And I'm now releasing five videos a week on it. Amazing. We've had 2 million minutes consumed in the last 28 days, 8,300 subscribers. Our goal is to hit 100,000 subscribers by the end of the year organically. And then we can launch off to a million. And the reason for the reach is because like, I'm actually really enjoying filming the videos. Number one, number two, Mm -hmm. I actually enjoy engaging and commenting back and forth with the comments on YouTube. And anyone that says something negative, it doesn't bother me. I just realize it's their own judgments and insecurities is not really about me. Mm -hmm. And then Three is like, it just helps to build a way to get the right connections. And the guy that coaches me, Evan Carmichael, he's got a couple million subscribers. I mean, he's constantly, he could be on any podcast he wants, it seems, or on any stage. 
like I'm really amazed at ma- the difference we're making through videos that are free online because I like, well, if it's free, will people really watch it? Seven minutes and um, 30 second average view time. I'm like, damn. So thanks for your advice that day is what <laughs> I really want to say. I just think that, you know, it was awesome. Oh, man, thank you. My absolute pleasure. If you're doing this yet, are you writing the news waves as part of the content creation yet? A little bit. We haven't done a great job with it. We've done it just a couple times. I know that if we did that, now we have enough of editing power and turnaround that I think we could start doing more of it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's really strong. In my mind, it's like one of the best things that you can do. Like, for example, things like the coronavirus is like, is this going to affect your your finances or what have you? Videos like that. What should you be doing with, with your stocks during that period of time or what have you? It's just, yeah, you're going to hear me typing while you talk because I'm laying, putting down this note. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I mean, and that's, you know, it's really strong. Like anytime you can ride anything that people are talking about in the media in a big way during, obviously we're in a period of time where we've got the re-election coming up, which of these candidates is likely to impact your finances? Like you could do a whole, there's a really cool YouTube series, like how such and such movie should have ended. And you can do a, what will happen to the markets if this person became president? What would happen to the markets if this person became president? And you could take each of the candidates and do a little video on what would happen if they became president and then invite people to comment below what they think would happen. And that's going to go crazy. People are going to get in huge arguments and share that video. All so. right. You can hear me typing. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> I'm super focused here. Yeah. Let me give me this advice. I got to capture it, you know? Yeah, man. I got you. So yeah, so it sounds like I love like writing those kind of things is like really strong. And there's one silly tip we're doing right now, which is great. It's more of a Facebook one rather than YouTube. But when somebody likes a video but doesn't comment, we'll go through and at them in the comments and be like, hey, at whatever your name is that clicked like, what did you like about the video? <laughs> or what did you love about the video based on what the reaction is? And it gets them to start commenting because obviously they liked it, just not enough to write a comment. And then when you tag them and you're like, I noticed you liked it. It goes crazy. Well, dude, you're the man. I appreciate all the <laughs> advice. Yeah. My pleasure. Who knew that we would schedule this so far out and it happened to be on a day like this and we're just flowing all over. Like, yeah. But this, I think it's important to understand the result of when money's not your obstacle, but mm-hmm. instead it's your ally. When it's a byproduct of who you are versus trading time and effort for it. It's a different world and there's different possibilities that come with that. There's a different level of fulfillment. There's a different level of enjoyment. There's a different level of choice. There's a different level of freedom. And unfortunately, people have been sold that financial freedom is having a certain amount of money in a bank account. Well, if you're in a scarcity mindset and you're not clear about your purpose, the bottom line is no amount of money will ever do. You'll always feel inadequate, insecure, and frustrated. So I think that it's really investing in yourself from a self-discovery. What are you capable of? Where do you have, you know, skill sets? How do you deliver that value to people? Like play a game worth winning. Too many people are playing a game that is very finite and they struggle in it because they're scrimping and saving and budgeting and cutting back and eliminating and reducing and no one shrinks their way to wealth. So the wrong philosophy with hard work still equals very limited results. I, yeah, I needed you to say that to my dad when I was a teenager. I used to have the biggest arguments with my dad because my dad would say, you don't save, you don't save. And I kept saying, but dad, like, I don't want to be someone that saves. I want to be somebody that grows and expands and helps and gets bigger. I was like, there's only so much money that I can spend in a month, but I want to make so much more than that, that it's irrelevant. And fascinatingly out of my family, I'm one of the few people that became successful because the rest of my family 
had a save, scrimp, keep it small mindset budget. Whereas my mindset has always been, how can I add value and grow? Generational healing here. Mm, yeah. Generational healing with rewriting the history. Yeah. Being able to truly go in and spend time with our family because my great grandfather left the shackles of poverty when he left Italy to come to America, but he still further embraced the shackles of scarcity. Mm-hmm. And the scarcity shackles are deep, they're cellular, and they're just, just so destructive. And they have people hide from their purpose. They have people hold on to their pain. They have people shrink what they bring to the world because of fear. And ultimately, you're just a dude that's not afraid. You'll speak up. (laughs) You'll share. You'll challenge the norms. And that's what's required because too many people are stuck in just being active and trading time for money, being in activity to pass the time by, and they lose their life along the way. And then what they do to, to feel better about it is they buy things. Now, I think when we create a vision that isn't shackled by scarcity, that isn't just what society tells us is successful, but we define it on our own, we play outside of the rules that are limiting and we invent the rules. And by being the inventor of the rules, we've already won the game. That's the game changing factor. Yeah, I agree 100%. Garrett, we're moving towards the end. I do want to ask you one big question, though, which is what is a psychological hack that you have that might help somebody listening to this? Psychological hack is if I ever find myself in a situation where I feel stressed, limited, down, selfish, or struggling, I do one of two things. Number one, I call someone like you or someone that I consider a peer or even a mentor that I highly respect and I tell them what's going on. And then they ask me a question that I probably couldn't ask of myself because of the negative emotional state that I might be in. Or number two, I simply go add value to one of those people Because when they acknowledge and appreciate me, it's hard to stay stuck in scarcity, frustration, or being down. So those are the two like spikes that I can have. Love it. I go back to the very first thing that I shared. I call and listen to someone. Number two, I be radically vulnerable about my situation. And number three, I bring love and compassion to go through the pain with people that I know that'll be there for me. So I guess you asked for one. I gave you three. Yeah, I, I love it. I love all of those. You got me resonating with one of them. I actually have moments where I refuse to make decisions because I'm aware that I have a cortisol flowing through my brain, which is the the stress hormone. And uh, so there are times actually happened earlier on today where I realized that there was like a, a complication with some scheduling. And long story short, I got flustered because something that was supposed to happen wasn't happening and everything messed up. And in the middle of that fluster, somebody asked me a question and I looked at them and I know that my instinct would have been to just answer to make them go away. But it wouldn't have been a real answer. It would have been an instinctive answer, not necessarily the best one. And so I've actually trained myself in those moments to look and say, I'm sorry, the answer that you want, I'm not capable of giving right now. I will get back to you later on when my head's in a better space to give you an answer that's worthy of your question. And that statement is like almost hardwired into me to say whenever I'm stressed so that my instinct, instead of giving a bad answer or the wrong answer or being freaking out is just my brain can't cope with this question right now, but you are going to get it. I just need you to give me time to fix my head, to give it to you correctly. And then follow one of your psychological hacks, go fix it and then go after them. That's awesome, man. Thanks. Yeah. I love this. You know, it's funny. Sometimes you just meet people and you just really resonate with them. And I, I definitely felt that when we first hung out. So this has been really good to connect again and, and catch up. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, it's really good to catch up. I like how we just kind of pick up where we left off. Yeah, it's so true. Time didn't matter. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I sent you a message. Let's hang out when you're in Austin. It'd be good to, to see you. 
All right, man. I'm coming up here. I'm coming there in February, March, April, and May. So perfect. It's kind of nice. Looking forward to it. Garrett, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the podcast. All right. Hey, thanks for having me and take care. Now, if you're new to the podcast and you want to learn more about how to build a smart business, then the absolute best place to start is with my Smart Blueprint ebook. Over 10,000 people have already gone through the book, and it's one of the most comprehensive resources on strategically building and growing your business that you can find anywhere for free. Just visit thesmartblueprint.com forward slash ebook to grab a free copy. And I'll see you on the next episode of Smart Businesses Do This.